Um, we might do a few weeks of some just general studies and looking at some things. But I think the next book that we're going to go into after Corinthians is the Gospel of John. And a beautiful book and, and just so much about Jesus and His, and His deity and who He is. And, and we'll spend some, some time in that book. But the text that we're supposed to go to now, the, 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 the chapter that's next is chapter 7. Now, if anybody knows about 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 7 is a kicker, man. Chapter 7 is not a chapter that you teach in just every every person's company or, or any kind of a gathering. The reality is it talks about uh, um, intimate uh, things. It talks about uh, sexual conduct. And so what I've decided to do is just skip it. Sort of. I'm going to skip it on Sunday mornings during the preaching hour because typically... We have a combined service and we have children in our midst. And the truth is, this is such a wonderful chapter and a needed chapter in our lives. Whether you're married or single, it's an absolutely wonderful chapter in the Bible and it needs to be taught. And so, so that I can be detailed and specific and don't have to uh, mask words with other words, I'm going to start next Sunday during the Bible study hour. We're going to take two or three weeks. And we'll go through at, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's just the adults there. And that way I can be, you know, pretty open. And it's, it's necessary. You know, one of the things that many churches do not talk about in, in public, there's many things we don't talk about in the church, but one of them is that three-letter word that's contained in this chapter. Sex. We don't talk about it. It is taboo. It is, it is not a good subject matter. And it's funny because there's so much written in God's Word about that subject matter. And the Holy Spirit, by inspirations from God to Paul, spoke chapter 7. And if all of God's Word is profitable for His people, then we need to teach all of God's Word. But we need to take... Um, make some wise decisions about how we do it. So, just skip chapter 7, go on to chapter 8, and we will start teaching through 7 next Sunday morning during the Bible study hour. And uh, we'll look at the entire chapter over the next few weeks. Today, though, we'll go right into chapter 8. The subject matter of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is very, very important. As a matter of fact, the entire book of Corinthians is important. It, it, it's not just... Paul scolding a church. It is Paul helping a church. And it is Paul trying to bring the Corinthian church to becoming healthy. But for us, it's, it should be looked at as a book that keeps the church healthy. It keeps a healthy church healthy by warning and by telling and by describing what is there. And in, in 1 Corinthians 8, it's all about the Christian freedom, Christian liberty. It, it's, about, it's about how we use our Christian liberty, the freedom that we have in Christ, and how that affects other brothers and sisters that are born again. Okay? And, and Paul wants to talk to us about how we choose to make decisions about what we do or don't do based upon how it would affect 
other believers in Jesus Christ. Because we can't go around and just live and say, ah, I'm saved. I got freedom in Jesus. I don't care what you say. I'm just going to do what I think God wants me to do. We really can't go around living like that. So how do we do that? 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the whole chapter, I think it's about 13 verses. Let's read it together this morning, and then I'll, I'll, I'll try to teach through the chapter as the Lord leads. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but charity or love edifies. And if any man think that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered and sacrificed unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in this world, and that there is none other God but one. And for though, for though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. How be it, even though we understand that, there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat, eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, and neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which has knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And, and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you sin, you sin so against the brethren and wound their conscience and you sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat makes my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world stands, lest I make my brother to offend. Right there in those verses, we have the, one of the most beautiful texts about how we are to live around our Christian brethren. It's not talking about how Christians live before the unsaved world. It's talking about how we as God's people live before others that are truly God's people and how we are to consider the things that guide our life and what we do. The bottom line, Paul says, look, everything's lawful for me to do, but not everything is good for me to do. And in that understanding, and we'll see this later on in, in chapter 10, and in that understanding, I will allow nothing to bring my me under its control, but I will bring all things under control. So let's pray and look at God's Word this morning. Father, we, we love You this morning, and we pray for Your uh, help to be open to Your Scripture and understanding of Your Word. I pray, Lord, that you would guide us as we study together. It's not just me teaching and saying, this is what you must think. It is us together coming before you as we sang, just speak, O Lord. Coming before you and, and earnestly desiring you to speak and show us and to teach us and help us to understand your word. 
so that we can be the kind of Christian that is pleasing to you and that is honoring to you with our life and our, our, our living, but also to consider the brother and sister in Christ and how our living might affect them in their living for you, their walk with you. And Lord, we do not live on an island by ourselves. We live out in the open as we should. We live as light and salt to this world where, where we are to be seen. You know, God, we are to be seen by others. Not just those who are unsaved, but those who are saved. And our life should be pointing and to You and helping others to live a godly life. And Lord, I pray that You would help me because Lord, I do not want to be confusing. I don't want to hinder anybody. I don't want to mislead or, or wrongly guide someone. Lord, I just want Your Word to speak. So please help us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Here's the situation. In, in Corinth there, they had these pagan temples. And, and at the pagan temples, they would offer up uh, animal sacrifices to these idols. But unlike the Jewish temple, much of the sacrifice would be burnt. And if it wasn't burnt, it would be used by the priests. There wasn't anything left, okay, to be sold in the market or to be eaten. But these pagan temples... They, they would uh, sacrifice, but then take the animal, butcher it up, and then they would sell it at the market. There was basically two places to buy your steak or your lamb or whatever that they were selling. It was the regular market was, was the first place. The regular market was simply the place where the, you know, the butchers were. They would butcher the animals and they would sell the meat, but they would sell it for a higher price. Now the temple, on the other hand, they knew that people knew that these, these, this meat was sacrificed to idols, so they would reduce the cost and make it cheaper. And people would go there and buy the meat. And what was happening was some of the believers were purchasing and eating this meat that had been offered to idols, and it was causing a problem within the church. Now we don't have a problem with this today, other than the fact that maybe we eat too much meat, and it shows forth in that way. But we don't sacrifice you know, uh, animals, and, and we don't have the problem where you know, our eating of meat would cause another brother or sister to, to, to be weakened in their faith. But we have the application that is fully uh, open to us this morning and that there are things that we might do or might not do that could affect the, the, the walk of another brother or sister with Christ. And so Paul is saying, look, you Christians who are eating this meat, your, your eating is affecting others who are not as strong as you are or who do not have the knowledge and understanding that you have. And so it's, it's affecting their walk. So again, we don't have a problem with eating meat offered to idols in the Western culture today, but there is still an application for the believer. How is our liberty... The ability to do things because we're saved. How is our liberty in Christ that is based upon knowledge of Scripture properly determined? Like I said a few minutes ago, we just can't live and say, I'm a Christian, man, I'm going to enjoy life and just do whatever. We can't do that. So how do we determine where, where when it doesn't say specifically in the Bible that that thing is a sin? Okay, gray areas, such as 
television, you know, cinema, music, um, clothing, and different things like that where, where the Bible doesn't specifically say that that is wrong or here's the guideline to that. How do we determine our ability to do those things and our freedom in that? Paul is speaking to those Christians that are actually stronger because of their understanding. Their knowledge of who Jesus was, what He had done for them, who they are now, that they are redeemed, a new creation, bought with the blood of Christ, that they have been released from the slavery of sin, released from the, from the bondage and the yoke of Judaism. Now that they've been released, and they, these are Corinthians, so they were Gentiles, they weren't even involved in Judaism. But now that they were released from all these different bondages, they're free to live. So how do we determine that freedom now that we've been redeemed by Jesus Christ? These strong ones were exercising their liberty. They were going in and they were buying the meat because they knew that these idols were nothing. They knew that these false gods were not real, that they had no power, that, that there was nothing to them. And so they, they freely, with a clear conscience, ate this meat. But it was hurting the church. It was hurting the, the, the ones that the Bible calls weaker that, because they felt that it was wrong to eat the meat. So the church was being divided again on another matter. So how do we guide our living? Just because we know we can the question ought to be, should we? And how do we make the decision based on, on what we do? Let me ask you a question this morning. There's not one person in this room that's saved that, that would want their life to hinder another believer. Amen? Right? Amen? None of us want that. And so, what we need to do is we need to have a way on how we understand about what we do. And we can't just coarsely in our hearts say, don't, don't judge me. I've got freedom. I'm going to do this. I don't care about you. That cannot be the Christian way. It is not the Christian way. Look at verse 1 in 1 Corinthians 8. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Paul says, I know we all have an understanding of this. But all because you have an understanding and you have a knowledge of, of, of your clear ability to do something, sometimes, you know what happens to people that have knowledge about something? We lose our humility. We lose our compassion towards other people. And we become arrogant and prideful. Look at what the Bible says. Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge creates arrogance and pride. And you know what? Whenever that pride and arrogance comes into the Christian life, there is nothing but destruction. You know, Adam and Eve, part of the issue there was pride. Part of the issue there was the desire for knowledge when Satan came to Eve and showed her the fruit and everything. Part of that temptation was, hey, look, you will be like God. Look, you will have this great knowledge. Look at you. In Genesis 3, it says this, For God knows, Satan talking to Eve, that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will have knowledge. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and that it was a tree desirable to make one wise or knowledgeable, she took of its fruit and ate and she gave to her husband with her and he ate. And we all know the consequences of the eating of that fruit, right? We're here this morning and we're not in the garden and we're not enjoying that presence of God like it was created for us to enjoy. We are in the results of sin. If knowledge can cause pride, and bear with me for a moment, do not make decisions now on yet what I'm teaching. Just listen and let the whole thing come together. If knowledge can cause pride, then all of us as Christians, we need to be aware of that. We need to be cautious of that. We need to consider what the problem here could be. Proverbs 16 says, Pride comes before destruction. And a haughty, uplifted spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Amen? It's better to be humble than to be puffed up in arrogance and pride and not be able to hear another side. So the question is, should we not gain or pursue knowledge? The answer is absolutely not. We should gain and pursue knowledge. The question is, how should we act with it? And what should we do with that knowledge? Because unless we're growing in knowledge, we won't be growing spiritually. They go hand in hand, don't they? The more you learn from the book, the more you grow spiritually. But there are some times that people can gain much intellectual knowledge and yet not grow in spiritual knowledge. We can, I mean, look at so many of the occults out there. The Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses, they have great knowledge. Most of it's rubbish knowledge and wrong, but they gain all this knowledge and they just, they're puffed up with hey, we have the only way to God kind of thing. you know, And we cannot, as God's people, be like that. Look at verse 2. Again, about knowledge, about, about gaining this intellectual understanding. How should we actually consider our knowledge? Verse 2, it says, if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. A person that has, that, that, that has true knowledge will know this. Here's what Paul's saying. If you're really knowledgeable in the things of God, you will actually understand that your knowledge is limited and it's small. Knowledge will, a person that has true knowledge will know that he actually knows far less than he really knows and that he must be willing to acknowledge that. And here's the kicker and to have a teachable spirit. The best thing about true knowledge is that a person that has true knowledge will understand that, that he doesn't know everything. That they w- he would understand that, that he should have a, a mind that is willing to listen to others about what they're saying when it comes to truth. You know, one of the greatest things a person can have is a teachable spirit. Because without a teachable spirit, you're not ever really going to grow as you should. And without a teachable spirit, 
you will, you will be shutting yourself off to truth. And, and in essence, you say to God, I've gone as far as I'm going to go. I, you're not going to be able to teach me anything else. And I'm staying right where I'm at. Amen? This is what Paul's saying. And I need to lay these groundwork so that you can understand the greatest aspect of, of, this, of this text. These Corinthians had knowledge. They knew and understood that the meat that was being offered to these idols, that it was okay to eat it. Because these idols were not real and their gods were powerless. And these stronger Christians were going in there and saying, man, I can save money by going to the temple and buying that meat. And then look what I can give back into the church. I mean, this is the thinking that could have been going on. And yet Paul said, I need you to listen to me. Because your knowledge and the freedom that you have to do this is actually causing great problems within the church. And these Corinthians that had the knowledge, they were absolutely right in the knowledge of their understanding. Look at verses 4-6. through six. Paul says, "...as concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice to idols..." We know that an idol is nothing in this world, and that there is no, no other God but one. For though there be many that are called gods, whether in heaven or earth, but unto us there is but one God. He acknowledges there is only really one living true God. He is the Father of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ by whom are all things, and we by, we by Him. And this is what the Corinthians were saying. We know there's only one God. We know we can go and buy this meat. We know that we have this freedom in Christ. Years ago, we had friends that, that uh, through their knowledge and through their understanding, they got to the point where they, they... It goes back to the issues with trousers. Many years ago, they got to the point where they realized they could wear trousers, the ladies. And... And they started wearing trousers, but their church, again, kicked them out of the mission field, wouldn't support them. The same exact things that have happened to Lisa and I. And they got upset about these things. And they kept saying, we have freedom in Christ to do it. And they were right. But, when our freedom in Christ causes other brothers and sisters to, to, to have a... Have a, a a stumble in their walk with God. We need to ask ourselves, how are we going about in our freedom and how is it affecting other Christians? Okay, that, That's the question that Paul's giving to us. And why is he saying that? Why is he bringing that up? Because verse 7, not every Christian is on the same level. Look at verse 7. However, there is not in everyone that same knowledge. For some with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. What was going on? Simply this. A, a stronger Christian was going to the temple and buying this meat. These weaker Christians, in other words, the other Christians who felt it was still wrong to do that. That it was a sin to go eat this meat offered to idols because they felt 
you were eating something that was, you know, you know, truly presented to a false god or a false deity or something. And it, it, it was against their conscience. It was against what they felt was right or wrong. Okay? And, and they wholly believed, these weaker Christians, that it was wrong and a sin to do it. And these stronger Christians were blatantly going out there in their freedom, eating this meat, and it was causing these weaker Christians to, to sin against the Lord in this way. And said in that verse that, that their, their conscience was defiled. What does that mean? What is this weak conscience? The conscience is their perception or their moral consciousness. How they perceive things more and more and morally, whether it's right or wrong. And Paul was simply asking the Corinthian Christians who know that there is nothing to an idol to remember that not everybody understands this yet. Not everybody has grown into the Christian, into a strong Christian like this, and not everyone has gotten to the point of understanding that it's okay. They're not there yet. And if someone believes that there is something to an idol and they eat the meat that has been sacrificed to it, their conscience was stained. And that's a really bad thing because it actually begins to cause that weaker brethren in the context and the, in the understanding of the vocabulary here to begin to slide away spiritually in their walk. It weakens their faith in their walk before God. Why is their conscience considered weak? It's not because their conscience doesn't work. It's actually on the opposite end of the spectrum. It actually, in a sense, overworks. They're extremely sensitive to these things. And their conscience is considered weak because it is wrongly informed. They haven't grown to that point where they understand it yet. And they're ultra-sensitive to these things. And their conscience is operating on the idea that there really is something to this idol. And the reality is whether we eat the meat or don't eat the meat, it doesn't hinder or help our relationship to God. You know? And, 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 and this is what Paul was saying. So what should we consider when it comes to Christian liberty? How do we make decisions about what we do when the Bible doesn't say, well, that's wrong. Don't do it and stay away. Because we don't have to take this in consideration when it comes to immorality, do we? You know, I'm free in Christ. I can go and play the field. Or I'm free in Christ. I can go and cohabitate with somebody. We know that those things are wrong. We don't even have to consider that. You know, I'm free in Christ. I can do that. No, you can't. You can't. Anything in the intimate relationship between a man and woman that is done outside of marriage, and I'm trying to be very careful here, that's done outside of marriage is sin for you to do. You don't test drive the car before you buy it. You just don't do it. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't do that. It is sin. Those things of marriage were, 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 were considered holy and only to be used in the conduct of a marriage relationship between one man and one woman for one lifetime. That is the way it was supposed to be. 
So how do we consider it when it comes to our Christian liberty? And I know this isn't a real exciting sermon and there's a lot of kind of building up to it, but I really believe this is absolutely one of the most important things we can discuss in our Christian life today. Everybody's watching you. Lost, saved, everybody. How you and I live in this world will and does affect other people. Lisa today, just this morning, got two separate letters from two young ladies in America. And they've basically said, we have been struggling with this issue of trousers. And most of you sit here and you think, Pastor, this is crazy. I don't get it. And you ought to praise God that you don't get it. That you've been in a church in your lifetime that's not taught this yoke of bondage, this legalism. That there's been a proper understanding of Christian life and conduct and freedom in Christ. And I just want you to know there are people in churches out there that really love Jesus, that are truly born again, that want to serve God, but they have, they have been brought under some teaching that has put them in a bondage of yoke. And these two young ladies wrote to Lisa today and said, I don't see it in the Bible that it's wrong. I'm struggling with this thing. I, I, I am being ousted by others who have seen me wear trousers and they, they're, they're, they're kind of, uh, what's the word? Um, pushing me out or pushing me away. And she's, they said, I'm sick of it. I am tired of it. Uh, you know, there's a real problem today with wrong teaching in the Bible. And so, so you ought to praise the Lord about that. But there are many people today that, that have been taught incorrectly about things. And what we as God's people should do, don't get arrogant with our pride and start attacking people and saying things and blogging. The big thing now in the world is blogging. Everybody blog. I will... I can't say never, but I am not planning on blogging right now. There's too many blogs. Do you know what? We, there's so many blogs out there that if you read them all, there's never any time for the Bible. You know, so folks, just read the Bible. Pick a blog or two if you want, but read the Bible and don't worry about that other mess that's out there. So Lisa's now praying, how do I answer this? How do I scripturally and biblically answer these things? And I'm so glad that we didn't let our freedom in Christ puff us up and get us arrogant and say, fine, we're going to teach that old church. We're going to teach these folks and we're going to blast them through email and blast them through Facebook and blast them through Twitter and blast them through Tumblr and all that stuff. We're not going to do that. You know, all we did is we quietly went away and lived for the Lord and our freedom in Christ and did it biblically. And now there are people who are honestly seeking truth and want to know answers. Amen? That's a good thing. So what should we consider when it comes to our liberty? Look at verse 9. But beware lest somehow your liberty becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who has knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened that word means to be built up or to be encouraged to eat those things offered to idols. And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. When you, but when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. 
Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother to stumble. What, what's Paul saying here? How should we consider our freedom in, 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 in making our choices? You know what? We don't do certain things in our family that we probably could, but we don't because we want to take a little bit of a higher road so that we live in a way that we don't cause other Christians to go further off in wrong areas. Does that make sense to you? So, say like, like TV and stuff. We don't watch movies that take the Lord's name. We, we just don't. And there's other things that we don't do. And we don't do these things because we want to protect other people, not just ourselves. So Paul says, here's the number one consideration. Will your lifestyle, what you think you're free to do, will it be a stumbling block to somebody else? And what that stumbling block means, will it give them occasion for that, that weaker Christian, would it be an obstacle with their walk with God? Christians, Please listen to that question. Does our freedom in Christ cause a weaker brother or sister in Jesus to have a faulty walk with God? Will it pull them away from walking with the Lord or will it bring them closer to walking with God? These friends that Lisa has, you know what's happening? That yoke of bondage where it says to be a really good Christian. You must never, as a female, you must never wear trousers. Do you know what that's actually done? It's been a yoke of bondage upon them. And that bondage has hurt their walk with Christ. Amen? So question this in your own life. Does what I do cause a brother or sister in Christ that their walk with God is affected? If we are so uncaring that we are without fault of the weaker Christian, we, we need to do something. You know, does, does that knowledge in Christ allow it? Maybe so. But does it cause the weaker Christian to do it even if they believe in their heart that it is wrong to do it? Paul's talking about if you do something and it causes... Like drinking alcohol. For me, it is wrong. For me, it is a sin. I will not drink alcohol. My conscience will not allow me to do it. As I read Scripture, it will not allow me to do it. But if I'm a weaker brother and, and, and I believe in my heart that it's wrong and another stronger Christian says, you know what? It's okay to do that. Have a pint or do this or drink this. And I do it. But inside my heart, I, I think it's wrong to do. You've caused me to sin. You've caused me to do something that is against my conscience. You'd say, well, why would you do it? Because a lot of people out there, are, you know, they do that kind of thing. They say, well, if so-and-so doesn't, I think it's wrong, but so-and-so, maybe I'll try it or maybe I'll do it. Brother and sister, we have to be careful in what we do. Why? Because we live to a higher authority and we live, to a, we live for a God that we don't want anybody to have their walk with Him hurt. Amen? At all. So will it be a stumbling block? If we are so uncaring that we without thought of the weaker Christian who is not at our strength level do something that our knowledge in Christ certainly allows, but it causes the weaker to do it even though he does not 
have a clear conscience to do so, then we have caused our weaker brother, the Bible says, to perish. What do you mean? We will actually kill them? No. What that word means is this. It actually implies that there will be, that there will be a process of moral undermining in their life. In other words, if our freedom causes them to do something their conscience doesn't allow them to do, they've become weaker. And therefore, it will be easier for them to fall into something else. Do you understand the, the progress here? In Christ, we're to walk forward. But if, if in this situation, that weaker brethren is walking backwards. They're getting further away from Christ. And, and with a clear conscience, we as God's people should live in a way that we're bringing people forward, not backward. Now, does that mean if we do something and, and people simply disagree with us, should we, okay, well, they, they say I shouldn't wear white shirts so, or I shouldn't wear blue shirts, so I'm never going to wear a blue shirt because I might offend someone to sin. No, that's not what they're talking about. Let's, let's be serious and, and, and common sense about this thing. It's talking about causing someone to do something that they believe is a sin to do that, that the Bible doesn't specifically say one way or the other, and it causes them to break their walk with God. Amen? So, so we just can't say, well, I disagree with you, Pastor, so you can't walk on Tuesdays on the sidewalk on the right-hand side. No, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about things that will hurt that Christian's walk with God. So, we have to consider what we've done. And what the Bible says is this. If we allow our freedom to do that to a Christian, here's what we've actually done. We've sinned against that brother. And we've sinned against Christ. Look, look at uh, the, what the Bible says. I think it's in verse 11 and 12. And through that knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you sin, you sow sin against the brethren and you wound their weak conscience and you sin against Christ. Beloved, that's a pretty heavy thing right there. What it's basically saying is how you and I live, if it causes a brother to do wrong, we've sinned against him and our Savior. And we've got to ask ourselves, is what I'm doing causing a weaker brother to sin? Is it causing that weaker brother to do something against his conscience? And so what does Paul say? He simply says it this way. If my food makes a, a brother stumble, I won't eat meat again. So that I do not make my brother to stumble. And that's a pretty heavy thing. You know, I, I, I told you in the beginning, in verse, eight, in verse 1 in chapter 8, where it says, as touching things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. I didn't actually finish out that verse in teaching. What is the buffer to knowledge? Humility. You meet a doctor who has so many earned degrees. Or meet two different doctors. One is puffed up with, with arrogance and the other is very humble. Do you know what? The knowledge of the humble doctor is balanced by humility, right? He's approachable. He's likable. You, you don't really want to be around that arrogant guy because you, know, you don't like that. But the 
humility balances out the knowledge. Now, with a Christian, what is supposed to balance out our freedom in Christ? We have the knowledge to do this, but what is the factor that balances it out? Look at verse 1. It's, it's very simple. It's only a couple of words. In my AV, it says, charity edifies. It simply means this. Love is what's supposed to build up. What is to be the balancing factor in our Christian liberty? Love. Love, that's it. What causes me to do or not do something before brethren should be my love for them and my love for God. Because the love will, will say to me, will this help them? Like with Lisa and I, we've been quite quiet with our stand on trousers. We really have. The, the most vocal we get is she, we post pictures at times of our family. That's all that we do. We've never wrote a dissertation about it. We've never written a letter. We've never even told the church pastor there, my brother-in-law, that he's wrong. You know? Well, actually, personally I did, but nothing ever, uh, ever in, a, in a public way. Why? Because we love those people at Woodlawn and we don't want to hurt them. Amen? So in your Christian life, how do we make a decision about what we, we should do? How should we act? what we should listen to, what, what we should wear, what we should eat, where we should go, how we walk the Christian life. Love is the balancing factor for all things. You know, love is what builds up a person. We are not to let our liberty or our freedom in Christ that we have as a stronger Christian in knowledge to, 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 to build up people to sin. But we are through love build them up to live for Christ. Christian, that's the balancing factor. And when, when Paul uses the word love in 1 Corinthians, there in verse 1, he uses the word agape. Okay? The word agape is the same Greek word for love that is described when God loves the world. Or when Christ loves us. It is the love that is selfless, sacrificial, and unconditional. It is the kind of love that gives up freedom for someone else. It is the kind of love that subjugates themselves a little bit so that the other person could walk and grow. Love is the thing that we should ask ourselves about. The Bible says in Romans, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things which one may edify one another. Paul says we need to be building each other up, not tearing each other down. In Romans 15 it says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Ephesians says, and he himself gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints and for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And I'll close with this last verse. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. What is it that should guide how we live in this world because we have been released from the bondages of Satan. We have been released to live in the freedom of Christ. What is it? It's love for each other. What 
describes Christianity completely. It is the verse that says that we are to love the Lord thy God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And the second commandment is like unto the first, that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. On these two statements hang all the law and the prophets. All of what the Word of God says is hung on these two things. Love God and love people. And have that love guide you through the Holy Spirit and through Scriptures about how we are to live. So, what if a weaker brethren that for most of their time that you've known them, you know what? It, the Bible never says that these people will not grow. What if they begin to grow? And what if they begin to see that the bondage that they were under is truly bondage? And that they would have this freedom to, to put that yoke off and just live in their liberty in Christ. And they come to you and say, how did you get there? What do you think about this? Is that causing them to sin or stumble? No. What you do then is you help them understand the Scriptures. You help them understand that freedom and liberty in Christ. You walk with them and you guide them. But we don't arrogantly say, ha, I'm free to do what I want and I don't care how it affects you. I'm going to do it. That's the question that we have to consider. And that's the thing that we cannot live by. We must live in our freedom, but under the understanding, how does it affect others? And then live according to that statement. Amen? Not the most exciting sermon, not the most uh, bombastic, but it is a great truth. Because guess what, Joel? People are watching you. People watching you, Philip. People are watching us, Renee. And our freedom or whatever, man, it could help a brother and live for God. It could help a weaker one not. And we need to keep it all in balance. Let's pray and then Nikki will come and sing. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. God, I pray.